Good morning. Let's turn uh, in our Bibles to Romans chapter 1. Uh, and we're going to begin uh, in verse, we're going to read the section verses 8 through 15. We'll get to that in just a minute. We're going to look this morning at the Apostle Paul. And uh, the Apostle Paul was a tent maker. Funny thing is, we don't know anything about the tents. That's what he was. He was a tent maker. And yet, we don't know how good they were. We don't know how big they were. We don't know whether, what kind of guarantee he had with them. We know nothing about the tents. But uh, he was a tent maker. What we know him for is his loving service to the Lord Jesus and to the church uh, that he once persecuted. Paul's full-time occupation wasn't tent making. His full-time occupation was to serve the Lord. And God saved Paul that he might serve us, really. And God saved you so that you might serve him and that you might serve us as well. And uh, Ephesians chapter 2 verse 10 reads, For we are his workmanship. In fact, Luke, if you want to put that uh, first slide up. For we are his workmanship, created in Christ Jesus for good works, which God prepared beforehand that we should walk in them. That verse tells us, that the Lord saved you by His grace, not by your works, but He saved you to do a work. He had a work specifically designed for you before the foundation of the world, that you should walk in them, that you should fulfill the work that He uh, established for you in eternity past. And that's why He saved you. He's got a job for you to do. He's got a work for you to accomplish for him. Do you know what that work is? Then uh, Paul later says to the Colossian believers uh, that he prayed for them that they might be fruitful in every good work. And so you might be a nurse, a doctor, an engineer, a stay-at-home mom, a secretary. You might be a waitress, a business person, an entrepreneur, or in the service industry. You work your job to put food on the table, clothes on your back, a roof over your head, and we're grateful to the Lord for whatever jobs that he has given us to do, Um, but your calling is not your job. Your calling is to serve the Lord, and the gifts that he has given you are for the building up of the body of Christ, the church. The Lord has saved you not by good works. He has saved you for good works that he set apart for you to do for him. That's your calling. And you're still living, so you still have a job to do. In this epistle, Peter writes, But you are a chosen generation, a royal priesthood, a holy nation, his own special people, that you may proclaim the praises of him who called you out of darkness into his marvelous light. That is our calling, saints. 
That's why the Lord hasn't taken you home to heaven yet. You still have a job to do on earth. I remember waking up from um, surgery. I think it was the seventh or eighth surgery that I had a couple of years ago. And um, someone said, oh, you're still here. (laughs) And uh, I said, yeah, I'm still here. They said, well, you must have a job to do. I remember years ago, back when I was relatively newly married, I think we'd been married a year, my appendix burst, I was in the hospital, I was uh, suffering in the hospital for 10 days, and I remember waking up out of that surgery, and a male nurse came to my side, and he looked down at me and he said, you know, some people don't live through what you just went through. (laughs) I said, yeah. I asked him to get out of my room after that. But... Why did the Lord spare me? Why does the Lord spare you day by day? Because he has a job for you to do on the earth. What is our job? The Bible says you are the salt of the earth. But if the salt loses its flavor, how shall it be seasoned? It is then good for nothing but to be thrown out and trampled underfoot by men. You are the light of the world, Jesus said. A city that is set on a hill cannot be hidden. Nor do they light a lamp and put it under a basket, but on a lampstand, and it gives light to all who are in the house. Let your light so shine before men that they may see your good works and glorify your Father in heaven. Be the salt that preserves this generation. Be the light that guides people to the truth. Live so that the light of your testimony and your godly character shines brightly and people will take notice that you're different, that you have something that they don't have, and they will want it. And as God allows you to win some to the Lord, you glorify your Father in heaven. Paul had that kind of testimony. We talked about testimonies this morning in the, in the breaking of bread, that the Lord has saved every one of us out of a life bent for hell. And... Uh, Paul had that kind of testimony too. He was persecuting the church, trying to destroy the church, and God stopped him in his tracks, saved him by his grace, and and from there on, he served the Lord. That was his calling. That was his mission, not tent making. But he did tent making on the side. Paul was not fake. He was not self-centered, superficial, legalistic, or ecclesiastical. He was warm, sincere, alive, and on fire for the Lord, and he wanted the same everywhere he went where he built up the believers. He wanted the same for the Roman Christians as well. And so our scripture study today is found in Romans chapter 1, verses 8 through 15. So um, as we go through the, the uh, slides, I'm just going to go through them real quick, Luke. Um, I forgot to give you exactly where we're going here. But Um, just pull them up point by point. So first of all, Paul served the Lord with a thankful heart, verse 8. And we're going to read the scripture in just a minute. Um, He served the Lord with a concern for others. That's point number two. So we've got eight points altogether uh, this morning. Number three, Paul served with a submission to God's will. Number four, he served with a tender heart. Number five, he served with a desire to encourage faith in others. Number six, he uh, served with a desire to be fruitful in God's work. 
Seventh, he served with a humble attitude, and he served with a message prepared, ready to be preached. Okay, so let's go back to verse 8. Uh, he served with a thankful heart. First, I, it says in uh, verse 8, First, I thank my God through Jesus Christ for you all, that your faith is spoken of throughout the world. David wrote in Psalm 105, verse 1, Oh, give thanks to the Lord. Call upon him. Make known his deeds among the people. David's thankfulness repeats itself over and over and over again in the Psalms. And Paul's thankfulness is also repeated in all of, well, most of, I won't say all of them, most of the epistles that he wrote. You'll see him thanking the Lord over and over again. Um, to the Corinthians, Paul wrote, I thank my God always concerning you for the grace of God which was given to you by Christ Jesus, that you were enriched in everything by him. So as he stopped to pray for believers, he thought of the Corinthians, and that's what he prayed. When he stopped to think about the Philippian church, he stopped and he prayed, and this is what he said to the Lord, I thank my God upon every remembrance of you, always in every prayer of mine, making requests for you all with joy. He thanked the Lord for the Philippian church as well. When Paul wrote to the Thessalonican church, uh, he, he thanked the Lord over and over again. I won't give you all of them, but here's a few. We give thanks to God always for you all, making mention of you in our prayers. Uh, that's chapter 1, verse 2. In ver chapter 2, verse 13, for this reason, we also thank God without ceasing, because when you received the word of God, which you heard from us, you welcomed it not as the word of men, but as it is, in truth, the word of God, which you effect, um, effectively works in you who believe. In 3.9, he writes, For what thanks can we render to God for you, for all the joy with which we rejoice for your sake before God? In 2 Thessalonians, We are bound to thank God always for you, brethren, as it is fitting, because your faith grows exceedingly, and the love of every one of you abounds toward each other. In a very personal letter to Philemon, Paul reminds Philemon this way. He says, I thank my God, making mention of you always in my prayers. And Paul's prayer life was rich and broad, and he continued to give thanks for all of the believers that he had contact with. And it seems that Paul wore out his prayer list from daily use. And as I read about Paul's prayers and what he prayed and how he prayed, I feel personally rebuked by the depth of his prayers and his consistent love for the saints. His prayers are repeated, regular, and filled with thanksgiving. So that same pattern that we read in those other epistles is also found here in Romans chapter 1. First, I thank my God through Jesus Christ for you all that your faith is spoken of throughout the world. What would our conversation be like during the coffee time or any time we meet if every time we met together, you said, wait, 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 first, I want to tell you something. 
I want to tell you that every morning I stop and I pray for you. And I thank the Lord for you, and I thank the Lord for you and you. And this is what I thank the Lord about, what I see in God transforming your life. I think our conversation would be completely different, wouldn't it? We wouldn't be talking about the game. We wouldn't be talking about stock market crashing. We wouldn't be talking about COVID. We'd be talking about what really matters of what the Lord, how we were praying that the Lord would really strengthen you and cause you to grow and to be fruitful in every good work. And that's what Paul says here. First, before I tell you anything else, I want you to know, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to write an epistle that is one of the greatest epistles on earth. He doesn't say that, but one of the greatest epistles in the Bible on doctrinal and practical instruction. But before I say any of that, first, I want to tell you, that I thank the Lord for you. And I thank the Lord for what he's doing in your life and how he's transforming you. Paul thanks God for the Roman believers because their faith in the Lord is well known throughout the Roman Empire. That's, that's great. How far has your faith in Christ spread? Who knows about your faith in Christ? Does your family, do your coworkers, do your neighbors know that, hey, I am a believer. My life has been transformed. I have faith in Jesus Christ. How far has that news spread? The Roman Christians, that spread throughout the Roman world. Everywhere Paul went, people would not, you know, tug on his, uh, his garment and say, Paul, what's going on with the saints in Rome? Look at their faith, how they've been transformed. Look at what God is doing in their life. It's great to have that testimony. And perhaps it's time for us to revolutionize our prayer life as well, that we might pray that way for all of the saints here and those that we know, uh, emphasizing, rejoicing, and giving of thanks to the Lord for the work God is doing, has done, and is doing in each one of you. All right, so point number two. Paul's ministry uh, demonstrated a concern for others. Verse 9, he says, um, For God is my witness, whom I serve with my spirit in the gospel of his Son, that without ceasing I make mention of you always in my prayers. You know, when God is doing a work in someone's life, it's really important for us to get behind them, to support them in prayer. And the testimony of the Romans was so profound that unbelievers were taking notice of them. There is something contagious about a Christian who is on fire for the Lord. Someone uh, once wrote, light yourself on fire with passion and people will come from miles to watch you burn. Now that was attributed to John Wesley. Others say, well, it can't be sourced. But whoever wrote it, it's a, good, it's a good quote all the same. And what if all of us were set on fire with passion for the Lord and for his work and service for him? Believers really should attract um, the attention of unbelievers for all the right reasons. Not because of your political stance, not because of what you're for or against, but because of what God has done in your life in transforming you from darkness to light. Jesus got the attention of the unsaved, didn't he? 
Now, he was persecuted as well, despised and crucified. And he says that those who live for him and serve him may also face the same thing. But people should say to us, I don't know what makes you different, but I like it. And I want what you have. Can you share with me what makes you so different? The Roman Christians were like that. They let their light so shine before men that unbelievers saw their good works and glorified God. Paul writes here and he says that he didn't serve the Lord in the flesh or through worldly means, but with his spirit, it says. His purpose was not to make a name for himself. Many preachers and teachers, that's exactly what they do. You know more about them and who they are and their grand schemes, but you don't really hear much about the Lord. Whereas Paul, it was not about him, it was about the Lord Jesus Christ. And he, built, he lifted him up so that men and women would be drawn to him. And he prayed that this would be the same, or this would be true of the saints in Rome as well. Have you ever heard of the phrase, behind every great man is a great woman? You've heard that phrase? I don't know if it's true. Might be, could be. I'm not going to speak to the truthfulness of it. But I can say that behind the great church in Rome and the great church in Thessalonica and in Ephesus and Philippi, there was a great man on his knees praying for those churches. The Apostle Paul um, was praying for them. Without ceasing, always interceding for this church that their testimony might continue to shine brightly. And that should be our prayer here, too, at Calvary, that we might be praying that the Lord would use us and change uh, our community around us because of the testimony. You know, when I look back at our history, and um, I, I praise the Lord for prayer warriors who stood behind us, beside us, and went before us in prayer. And I feel keenly the loss of many who daily committed um, the needs of the believers and the growth of the believers to the Lord. And they've been taken home to heaven now. I feel the, the loss of those people is actually palpable. Will I be that kind of person who intercedes for you and prays that you will be fruitful in every good work? Paul was. Without ceasing, I make mention of you always in my prayers. All right, number three, uh, Paul's ministry was, demonstra- he demonstrated his ministry uh, in uh, a submission to God's will. Verse 10 says, making request, if by some means, now at last I may find a way in the will of God to come to you. So when Paul prayed for the saints at Rome, he asked the Lord that he personally might be able to travel to Rome and to be with them, to meet them. He'd never met them before, to meet them and to minister uh, to their needs, that I might find a way in the will of God to come to you. Can you imagine that if Paul walked through our door and uh, he said, hey, I'm here to be a blessing to you. I'd sit down right now. (laughs) I would love to have that kind of input. And he wanted to be there uh, for them. Now, notice how Paul prays about life decisions and see if there's a 
um, lesson here for us. First, Paul requests from the Lord the opportunity to visit the saints. Lord, can I visit the saints in Rome? So the first step in being submissive to the Lord and to, so a lot of people say, I really want to know God's will. I want to know his will for my life. And I want to do it. Well, the first step is to ask the Lord. Make your request known to the Lord. And that's what he does. So he asked, tell him your heart's desires. But be prepared for God's answers, not necessarily the answer that you're looking for. The Bible tells us in Proverbs, the heart of man plans his ways, but the Lord directs his steps. The uh, Bible says also in Proverbs uh, 3, trust in the Lord with all your heart and do not lean on your own understanding. In all your ways acknowledge him and he will direct your paths. And so that is kind of our life verse. We've often got on our knees and said, Lord, I don't have a clue what you want us to do next. Where do you want us to go? What do you want us to do? What ministry should we be involved in? And we commit ourselves to the Lord and he directs our steps. But we want to be sure that our desires align with God's desires for us. And so to, to do that, we've got to come to him in prayer and say, Lord, what do you want me to do? Your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Second, Paul submits his will to the will of God. We could pray something like this, Lord, here's the desire of my heart. I long to do this, or I long to do that. I want to go here, or I want to go there. I want to marry. Should I marry? Should I not marry? Who should I marry? Who should I avoid? Should I buy a house? Should I not buy a house? Should I sell the house I have? Lord, should I go to college? Where should I go? What job should I take? Should I serve as a missionary overseas? Should I serve the Lord here at home? There's all kinds of life questions that we have, right? If the Lord has plans for us, which the scripture clearly says he does, and that we are to walk in them, we're to do them, then it goes without saying that we should align our will with his. So that we're not out of step and go down this path like uh, Jonah did. The Lord made it clear to Jonah where he should go. He should go to Nineveh and preach the gospel. And Jonah said, I don't, I don't want to go to Nineveh, thank you very much. I'd rather go and be swallowed by a fish. And that's what happened until he got spit up on the shore. And when he got spit up on the shore, he was right back in the same place. And guess what? The Lord hadn't changed his mind and gave him the same instructions a second time. Go to Nineveh. I have people there. There are souls to be saved in Nineveh. Go. So I don't know what the Lord's will is for your life. Do you? You should. You should know. And you should start by asking, Lord, your will be done in my life. Lord, I want to submit my dreams, my desires, my aspirations, my will to yours. I pray, Lord, your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. James 
writes to the to believers, um, and he's really a- appealing to them on the same basis as what I'm talking about. He says, come now, you who say today or tomorrow we're going to go to such and such a city, spend a year there, buy and sell, and make a profit. Whereas you don't know what will happen tomorrow. For what is your life? It's even a vapor that appears for a little time and then vanishes away. Instead, you ought to say, if the Lord wills, we will do this or that. But now you boast in your arrogance. All such boasting is evil. We all need to find God's will for our life uh, each day. And, And in finding God's will for our life, do you know what? you're going to be fruitful because it's where God wants you to be. It's what he wants you to do. Fruitful in your Christian life. And honestly, believers, you simply don't want to be out of the will of God. It's not a good place to be. So Paul writes to the church at Ephesus, therefore do not be unwise, but understand what the will of the Lord is. And Paul shows by his prayer that even a great man like the Apostle Paul wanted to be in the center of God's will, but he subjected his will to God's will, making request if by some means, now at last, I may find a way in the will of God to come to you. Are you seeking the will of God in every area of your life? Paul ministered, number four, uh, with a tender heart. Verse 11 says, For I long to see you, that I may impart to you some spiritual gift, so that you may be established. You know, Paul wasn't looking uh, for a vacation in Rome. Um, He wasn't uh, looking to visit the great tourist sites. He wasn't going to admire the great aqueducts, the Colosseum, or the Appian Way. Paul wanted to visit the believers. Now, I'm not saying it's wrong to go to Italy on a vacation. That's not what I'm saying. But that wasn't Paul's purpose. Paul's purpose was to serve the Lord and to serve the church there in Rome. It was the longing of his heart, even though he had never met them before. Do you long for people that you've never met before? Paul did. He heard they were believers. He heard that Christ had transformed their lives. And he says, man, I want to see those people. I want to meet those people. I want to minister to those people. I want to give them a spiritual gift. And the purpose of him coming was, as he said, that I may impart to you some spiritual gift so that you may be established. He had a tender heart desiring to give to them. Now, this gift was not some second blessing as some people think, think. Um, nor was he coming to lay hands on them to impart some spiritual gift that they didn't have. That's not what he means by a spiritual gift here. Um, it's the work of the Holy Spirit to give gifts, spiritual gifts to the church as he pleases. The spiritual gift that Paul is talking about here was to strengthen them in their walk with the Lord, to encourage them in their faith and trust in Jesus Christ. He wanted to come and bless them with a greater understanding of the Lord and how to live by faith. You see, Paul was more mature, 
uh, in his walk with the Lord. And he wanted to come alongside of younger believers and train them up in the way of the Lord. And in that way, that was imparting himself on them. He was the spiritual gift in this case, um, his teaching and his direction from the Word of God. So what does that look like in, in real terms? Well, we get a clue of what he wanted to do from 1 Thessalonians chapter 2, verses 7 through 12. Let me just read it to you. He, Paul writes to them and he says, But we were gentle among you, just as a nursing mother cherishes her own children. So affectionately longing for you, we were well pleased to impart to you not only the gospel of God, but also our own lives, because you had become dear to us. For you remember, brethren, our labor and toil, for laboring night and day that we might not be a burden to any of you, we preach to you the gospel of God. You are witnesses, and God also, how devoutly and justly and blamelessly we behaved ourselves among you who believe. As you know how we exhorted and comforted and charged every one of you, as a father does his own children, that you would walk worthy of God who calls you into his own kingdom and glory. So the spiritual gift that Paul is talking about in Romans is himself coming and ministering among them, like a nursing mother, like a caring father who is going to encourage and yet discipline too, if necessary. And I think about the assembly here. If Howard and Kathy were here, I was going to stop and ask them this question. Howard, Kathy, who was your spiritual father? And they would say, well, Gene Gibson was our spiritual father. He's the one who led us to the Lord. And who taught you in the things of God? Well, Gene did, and so did Bill McDonald. And how did you get that teaching? Well, we took nine months off out of our lives. I was working, he would say, I was working at Safeway. I had a good job. I asked the boss for something that was unheard of in its day. I asked for a nine-month sabbatical so I could go and study the Bible. And guess what? They gave it to me. <laughs> Ask Howard about it someday. And so that he could sit and enjoy the spiritual gift that both Gene and Bill wanted to give to him. But as a result of them giving him a spiritual gift of their teaching him and building him up in his most holy faith, he's been able to minister to us as well. And the same thing could be said of many of us. If I were to ask you, who is your spiritual father? You have somebody that comes to mind. Somebody talked to you, led you to the Lord. Who is your spiritual mentor? Who came alongside of you and taught you? And you can say, well, I've been taught by a multitude. Right. Those are spiritual gifts that God has given to us that we might all grow and, and, uh, and be strengthened in our walk with the Lord so that we might be able to do the same thing to others, that we might be a gift uh, to them. <clears throat> My daughter, Sharon, just had a baby uh, three weeks ago. And um, it's, it's fun seeing my own children um, become parents. Uh, it's a different role. It's, it's unheard of, you know, to them. And here, here they are, they're now parents. Sharon said to me that, uh, someone said to her from church, um, you know, Sharon, 
your life has radically changed for the next uh, three or four weeks as this baby, you know, grows and kind of gets on a schedule. And I started laughing when I heard that. I said, three or four weeks? <laughs> I said, your life has changed for a lifetime. I said, you know, at least 18 years while they're living at home, but I said, you know, it's, it's never going to be the same again. So don't think you're going to go back to your old way, you know, prior to your birth, prior to your son's birth, you know, three weeks from now. But I watched her as she was uh, affectionate and, and longing and, and nursing the, uh, the baby. I thought, you know, this is a love. It's a tender, compassionate love for her child. But that's the same thing that should apply to us who minister the Word of God to you. We should have that same sort of tender, loving gentleness that a mother has for her uh, newborn and think about those who have ministered to you. Sometimes they have challenged you. Sometimes they have rebuked you. Sometimes they have exhorted you. Sometimes they've come along and just encouraged you, like a father does his children. It's interesting that the Lord uses that, or Paul writes this way, of both parents, the father and the mother, how important they both are in the raising of a child to full maturity. Well, those same measures are important in the raising of Christians to full maturity as well. And so I thank God for people like Howard and Kathy and Noah and Sharon who have labored for your spiritual health in the assembly. I thank God for the deacons who have given sacrificially of their time. They disrupt their own family life in order to minister to us as believers, uh, and to meet together, to pray and investigate how to give and to whom we should provide funds for the furtherance of the gospel. I thank the Lord for how they care for the widows and for the building, to maintain maintenance of the building and so on. And they seek to pay off the debt of the building so that it doesn't become a burden to the next generation. I thank God for their desire to spread the gospel and how they sacrifice of their own resources. Not just that they're using the money that is given to the assembly, but I know that they give generously too, that they might see the gospel going forward and the saints uh, encouraged. I thank the Lord for those of you who serve behind the scenes, and many of you serve in ways that are never appreciated. You do it faithfully, and the Lord sees and will reward your service, but I want to thank you for it. Because even little things that don't uh, get noticed help all of us in our growth, in our walk. And you know, I notice the faithfulness of the saints in doing these sorts of things. I thank the Lord for those who give generously of their time and of their resources to benefit the poor and needy. I thank the Lord for those of you who desire and, and try to reach out uh, with the gospel to unbelievers. And I thank the Lord for the women who pray together and study together and minister uh, to each other. Your hearts are tender and you give out of love uh, for one another. Well, I could go on, but we, our time is ticking here. So number five, a Paul served with a desire to encourage 
faith, verse 12. That is that I may be encouraged together with you by the mutual faith both of you and me. If Paul could minister to the believers, if the Lord would open up the way for him to go, if it was the Lord's will for Paul to go and he could go and minister to them, Paul says, I'm going to come and I'm going to encourage you in your faith. But I know that if I come and encourage you in your faith, I'm going to be encouraged in my faith as well. I have often visited Christians in the hospital who were sick. And my purpose always in going to the hospital when someone is sick is to encourage them, you know, is to strengthen them, to give them hope. I can't tell you, though, how often I have walked out of a hospital room of a believer uh, inspired by the patient. That wasn't my intention in going, but it's often a side effect of visiting those who are suffering uh, yet trusting the Lord through their pain. Paul did not consider that he was such a great apostle and so high and lofty that he couldn't be helped by new believers, young believers, and edified by younger and less mature believers. Uh, many of you remember uh, Bill McDonald. Some of you have never met him, but I'll tell you a story that uh, is characteristic of him uh, most of you who know him know that he was very much like this. He would often minister to young men, and his desire was to uh, teach them and to train them in the Word of God, that they might really be able to handle the Word of God accurately. And oftentimes, young men would go to his home and would have lunch with him or dinner with him, and he would share some biblical truth with them, and they would walk away just going, wow. That really challenges me in my faith. It challenges me in my walk. And they would put what he taught them into practice. And you know what would happen when they did that? It would challenge Bill to the core. He'd go, look at that guy. He's serving the Lord with all of his might. It's a rebuke to me. And you go, wait a minute, you taught him to live like that. Yeah, but he's really doing it. <laughs> And so he was, it was a mutual uh, edification, a mutual growth as a result of it. Uh, th this is kind of on the side. I went out for my two-mile walk this morning, and, and um, I walked through a school ground. And most mornings when I walk through the school ground, there is a Chinese lady who does exercises there. She has uh, Chinese music playing, and it plays at a certain beat and tune, and, it, and, it, and she goes through all of these exercises, and I call them stretching exercises, but I don't know what they are really. But she's very nimble, and she's probably my age, but man, she can twist and bend and do all kinds of things that I can't even imagine doing anymore. My grandson can do it, you know, <laughs> but, uh, you know, to see a woman of her age that nimble, it's, it's quite incredible. So I was walking past her this morning, and I go, you know, we greet each other every time, and I go, hi, how are you this morning? She goes, Wow, she says, you've lost a lot of weight, haven't you? And I said, yeah, I said, uh, you know, over 20 pounds, edging towards 25 pounds now. She says, man, you look healthy. I said, that's great. And so I encouraged her about how nimble she was and how stiff I am walking, you know. <laughs> but that same idea, it's, you know, we were just talking about physical traits, physical characteristics, physical help. 
But Paul wasn't so concerned with the physical. He was, obviously. He cared about their physical state, too. But he cared about their spiritual. And when he would come, he'd say, you know, I'm really encouraged by you. I've been praying for you that you would grow in this area of your life. And now that I see it, it encourages my heart as well. And that's what Paul was looking for, that he might be encouraged uh, as he watched them grow in faith. All right, number six, a desire to be fruitful in God's work. In verse 13, we read, Now I do not want you to be unaware, brethren, that I often planned to come to you, but was hindered until now, that I might have some fruit among you also, just as among the other Gentiles. Paul would have visited Rome long ago if he had his way, but he had been hindered. Now, we don't know why. We don't know if the hindrance was a satanic interference, or we don't know if the Lord simply said, Paul, they're not ready for you yet. I don't want you going. I want you ministering somewhere else first. But Paul's desire to visit was that he might have fruit among them. And so whether it was um, him being just too busy with other saints, or it was a satanic hindrance, or it was the, the hindrance of the Holy Spirit, he couldn't go. Did Paul ever face that before? Oh, yeah. You remember the time in Acts 16, verses 6 through 10, uh, Paul says, now when they had gone through, or actually Luke is writing this, now when they had gone through Phrygia and the region of Galatia, they were forbidden by the Holy Spirit to preach the word in Asia. After they had come to uh, Mycenae, they tried to go to Bithynia, but the Spirit did not permit them. So passing by uh, Mycenae, they came down to Troas, and a vision appeared to Paul in the night. A man of Macedonia stood and pleaded with him, saying, come over to Macedonia and help us. Now after he had seen the vision, immediately we sought to go to Macedonia, concluding that the Lord had called us to preach the gospel to them. And so whatever hindrance there was at the time, Paul's desire was to go to Asia, And the Lord said, no, Asia's not ready for you yet. But over here towards Europe, that's where I want you to go because that's where the fruit is going to come from now. Later, Asia, now uh, from Macedonia and regions beyond. Wherever Paul was in his life's journey, he wanted to bear fruit. Now, in verses 11 and 12, he wanted to be fruitful in helping the believers in Rome grow to full maturity. But in verses 13 and 14, he's talking about a different fruit. And Paul's desire for fruit here is the fruit of winning souls for the Lord. The Lord Jesus called Paul to preach the gospel and make the Lord's name known among the Gentiles. Paul says that the gospel is the power of God unto salvation to everyone who believes, to the Jew first and also to the Greek, and he wanted fruit in evangelism as well. He says in Romans 15, 20, And so I have made it my aim to preach the gospel, not where Christ was named, lest I should build on another man's foundation. In Proverbs 11, we read, The fruit of the righteous is a tree of life, and he who wins souls is wise. There is nothing more satisfying than sharing the gospel with an unbeliever, recognizing 
that they understand for the first time the way of salvation and watching them trust in the Lord uh, as Savior and Lord. Uh, there, there's nothing more satisfying than that. I was, um, over the years, I was in the labor and delivery room for each of our seven children. And uh, it was an amazing sight every time I saw Krista give birth. It seemed like I was watching God perform a miracle right before my eyes. Uh, he had knit that child in his or her mother's womb for nine months. He had given that child its heartbeat, its ability to breathe, its functions of a body uh, that would uh, come to life. And um, for nine months, the Lord was knitting and making and creating children in her womb. That's a miracle all by itself. And then to see the child come forth in birth, uh, it's just absolutely overwhelming to me. And I remember with each child, I was given the child to hold in my arms. And this precious little baby was now, uh, you know, sometimes crying, sometimes quiet, um, just breathing on its own, a new life given by God. And I would weep. I would literally just bawl my eyes out at uh, seeing this new life. And I would lift up the child before God and offer to the Lord this child's life and ask him to save each one for his glory. It's an amazing sight. Physical birth, it's an amazing sight. But I have the same joy and delight, maybe even more, when I witness God working in the heart of an individual and bringing them to new birth and seeing them for the first time recognizing their sin and their distance before, be, between them and God and yet recognizing that God has provided a savior for them to save their soul and to make them whole and to give them new life, an assurance of heaven and a place with God for all eternity. It's an amazing sight to watch someone be, being transformed. And it's the Lord's work. The, the Bible tells us that there are some of us who sow seed. There are some of us who water. But it's the Lord who brings the increase. And you can say, well, I shared the gospel with someone and they got saved. Yeah, you did. That's sowing the seed or watering. But it's the Lord's work. You didn't save that person the Lord saved them. And it's amazing that God uses human beings to, to, you know, Christians to share the gospel and be able to be part of that birthing process. The Lord gives the birth, but you're there to watch it. And it's a marvelous thing. Paul longed for fruit of evangelism. And we should long for that fruit too. God can use you. Do you know that? We're all called to evangelize. We're all called to share the gospel. And uh, God can use you, every one of you who knows Jesus Christ. You have a testimony that you can share with friends and relatives, coworkers, neighbors, and family. Pray that the Lord would allow you to be fruitful, just as Paul does here, that you would be fruitful in winning souls to him. Start a Bible study. Read through a gospel booklet with someone 
and share the testimony of how you came to know Jesus Christ as your Lord and Savior. And I pray that God will make each one of you fruitful in every good work and that we will together reap a harvest of souls. Paul ministered, number seven, with a humble attitude. In verse 14, he said, I am a debtor both to Greeks and to barbarians, both to wise and unwise. Paul wrote to the Corinthians and said, For if I preach the gospel, I have nothing to boast of, for necessity is laid on me. Yea, woe is me if I had preached not the gospel. It is both a duty and a privilege to preach the gospel. That's our calling, saints. That's why the Lord didn't take you home yet, because you have a message that he has given you to share with those around you, and that message is the gospel. He saved you so that you might be fruitful and multiply. Jesus said to his disciples, you did not choose me, but I chose you and appointed you that you should go and bear fruit and that your fruit should remain. That whatever you ask in my, in, uh, the Father in my name, he may give you. If you got down on your knees and you said, Lord, please allow me to lead just one soul to you. Do you not think he would answer that? Lord, please allow me to just lead one soul to Christ. And then when he does, ask him again and ask him again. And as long as you have breath, keep asking the Lord that uh, he might give you fruit in evangelism. And so who should we share the gospel with? Well, the same group that Paul shared the gospel with. Not the Romans, they're dead now, but we might be called to Rome, who knows. We bring the gospel to the wise, but we also bring it to the unwise to the educated and the simpleton, to the old and young, to every man, woman, and child, to the Greeks and the barbarians, everyone who comes across our path and who is not already a believer is the one for whom Christ died. If they were in a burning house and you were standing outside, would you not call to them and warn them about what was to become of them? Of course you would. Every person who does not know Christ is on their way to hell. You have, an, you have a message that will save them from hell. It is the, the gospel is the power of God. It's dynamite in your hands that will blow up their life. <laughs> Draw them to the Savior that they might be saved. They are on the broad road that leads to destruction, and you may be the only voice warning them to turn to the Savior. I remember my dad was praying for uh, years for the uh, people in uh, Charrington Hospital, which is a convalescent hospital. People there went there with no thought of ever getting out again. This was their last place that they would live on earth, and they would die there, and they would be buried. And uh, dad said, you know, I wonder about this ministry. I said, Dad, don't wonder about it. I said, you know, think about it this way. 
I said, you are probably the last voice they will ever hear pointing them to the Savior. I said, they've lived 70, 80, 90 years or more, and you're the last voice before they step into eternity. And I said, I'll tell you a story about a man who said that, um, I'm going to get this all wrong. Was it C.T. Studd? Matt, you can probably help me with this. He said, I had, uh, some like to serve within sound of church or chapel bell. I want to build or, yeah, build a rescue shop within a yard of hell. And I said, you're that rescue shop within a yard of hell. I said, that's how close they are. And dad ministered to those people. And some of those people in the last breaths of their life came to know Jesus Christ as Lord and Savior. Who needs to hear? Everybody who's not saved. Everybody. We are debtors to our fellow human. Number eight, Paul was a man with a message. So as much Uh, a message ready to be preached. So as much as is in me, I am ready to preach the gospel to you who are in Rome also. Paul was called into the service by the Lord Jesus Christ, and he was ready to uh, see gospel action in Rome. If that meant suffering in Rome, bring it on. Uh, If it meant deprivation, Paul was ready. If it meant sleepless nights, he was ready for that too, because you've seen that already in his life. If it meant that souls would be saved, he was ready with the message of salvation to preach the gospel and bear fruit in Rome. Let me ask you, are you ready to preach the gospel? You say, well, I need training. Do you need training? We'll help you with that. Ask, and we can provide help. Some of you have already been trained. Some of you already know how to share the gospel. Are you ready to preach the gospel? 1 Peter 3.15, we're going to end with this, and this will be the close of the meeting with prayer. But sanctify the Lord God in your hearts, and always be ready to give a defense to everyone who asks you a reason for the hope that is in you, with meekness and fear. Be ready to share the gospel at a moment's notice. Be ready. There are people around you who need to hear how they can be saved. I've heard the joyful news Jesus saves. Jesus saves. He saved you. And there are a lot more people out there he needs to save. Let's pray. Father, we thank you for the life of Paul. We thank you for the, uh, the man and, and his ministry. And Lord, there's so much here that we can take home and uh, put into practice and, and live in our own lives. We pray that we might be prayer warriors as well, uh, seeking to be in the center of your will that all other things don't matter in comparison to knowing and doing your will. We want to be humble uh, servants of yours, Lord. We want to see needs around us of believers who are young and untaught and that we might come alongside of them as a nursing mother or as a doting father. And Lord, we long for fruit uh, in our assembly. We long for fruit personally in each one of the believers here. And we ask you, Lord, to give each one here the opportunity to share the gospel and to be used by you in leading a soul to Christ. We ask for this in Jesus' name. Amen.